It doesn't matter how many flaming, how many reps and scat retractions and like all the neck exercise, all this sort of that and the other. If they're breathing through the mouth 20,000 times a day, then, I mean, the body's going to adapt to whatever stressor you put upon it. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to How Do You Feel? I hope everyone had an awesome weekend. Quarantine has brought many twists and turns to everyone's lives. And it's really interesting to look back after three and a half months now and think about where I am now and how I could have never pictured being in this place, but how it feels like exactly where I'm supposed to be. What I'm talking about is I started a new role about a month ago with one of my favorite companies, DTS Fitness Education, which is an education company based out of Toronto. As a new trainer, the courses that I took from DTS absolutely revolutionized the way that I thought about training and gave me a completely new skill set in a matter of three or four days that I was on their courses. I believe so much in their mission statement, which is longevity and pain-free living for everyone. That is the lens with which I approach fitness for myself and with which I approach fitness for my clients. And I use that framework of sustainability, of injury prevention, of thinking about the effects that our movement and activity have on our long-term health and therefore our longevity. Like that is the lens that I use when I impart fitness knowledge to other people. And it's been so much inspired by this company. So I'm very proud to have been given the chance to join their instructor team. Their main course, which is called the DTS, level one exercise coach has converted to an online version. It can be done completely virtually. So anyone can get in on this course now, which just opens up so many possibilities for the people that DTS can reach, which I think is only a good thing. I would encourage anyone who is a trainer, no matter how many years of experience you have under your belt, I would encourage you to take this course. It teaches you how to assess movement. It teaches you how to make exercise selections and program for your clients. It teaches you how to be a better coach. The skills that you gain in this now three-week online course are absolutely invaluable. If it sounds like something that you would be interested in, please reach out to me. I can give you a 10% off discount code to join our next cohort, which will be gearing up in July. And trust me, I'm not just saying this because I'm an instructor for the course now. I said this, I have been saying this about this course for years. You absolutely will not regret taking this course. And I guarantee that you will walk out feeling like a completely new trainer. I'm talking about DTS and hyping it up this week because I had the director of education for the company on the podcast this week. Ben McDonald and I talked all about breath. It's something that we do upwards of 20,000 times a day and that many of us don't give a second thought to. It's something that has a profound impact on your ability to exert strength and the way that you move and also your overall physical and mental health. So. It's a huge component of our wellness and something that I haven't talked about on the podcast yet. So I was really excited to get Ben on because he speaks so well about this topic. Ben has been in the fitness industry for 12 plus years. He has an extensive and varied sporting background, including fencing, board diving, and various forms of mixed martial arts. 
Ben has taught for the largest health and fitness training provider in Europe and has been presented with international awards for his speaking and presenting. His core belief is that fitness should be inclusive, not exclusive, as there is no one way to do it. You'll hear it on the podcast immediately, but Ben's energy is infectious. He has me laughing every time I talk to him. So I was really, really honored to have the chance to bring Ben on the podcast and talk to him about breath today. Okay, I think that's enough from me. Without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Ben McDonald. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I'm really excited to talk to my favorite Mancunian today. <laughs> I don't know, Casey, because I don't know how many Mancunians you know, you know what I mean? So that could be either really good or really bad. Right. That's like, that's like when parents say, my favorite daughter, and they have one kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's it, mate. Ben, since this, this is the How Do You Feel podcast, I always start off with a How Do You Feel question. So my question for you is, how do you feel about mouth breathing? Ooh, how do I feel about my mouth breathing? Do you know what, Kayset? Mouth breathing doesn't make you a bad person. Do you know what I mean? You're just not maximizing your potential. So people, especially when you look at like health and fitness, performance, and when I say performance, it may be athletic performance, it may be performance in your everyday life, it may be mental performance, whatever it may be. I think people are always reaching, like reaching for crazy stuff like, oh, I need to do this type of workout or I need to focus on this tempo or I need to like take this supplement or whatever it may be. Whereas really with, when you look at types of breathing patterns, it's like crazy low-hanging fruit. Everybody's got to do it. If we can just maximize people's potentials, uh, the benefits are, are crazy. You know what I mean? So mouth breathing doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you have potentially a little opportunity with your breathing. Tell me about why it is so important to breathe through your nose. Why do we encourage people to nasal breathe? Nasal breathing has a ton, a ton of different benefits. And, and those benefits will affect people differently as far as where you lie in sort of age group. So nasal breathing, when we talk about it on course and stuff like that, we like to say that there's like six crazy main benefits for nasal breathing. So the first one that we look at is it makes you, it has the ability to make you stronger. So this sort of resonates with people who train. Because what it does is it gets a diaphragm in the game and you cannot breathe case without utilizing your diaphragm just so we are absolutely crystal clear <laughs> you know what i mean but some people don't use it maximally so nasal breathing because you're breathing through a smaller hole it adds a little resistance so what happens is your diaphragm is your primary breathing muscle it has to activate a little more because you breathe you're just restricting the the size of the uh, the hole that the air's coming through if that makes sense totally. when that happens the diaphragm drops it sort of increases the volume in the chest cavity decreases the volume in the abdominal cavity and that increases intra-abdominal pressure which stabilizes mm -hmm. your low back and allows you to express uh, strength a little more forcefully or a little more strength so when people start talking about oh i want to get stronger i want to do this that, and the other you say well we look at your breathing pattern first you don't have to do six to ten weeks of strength training like a phase of strength training uh, to get stronger you can literally just focus on nasal breathing so that's a key piece that we look at first off the bat when you focus on intra-abdominal pressure as well case if you've got someone who suffers potentially from a little instability in the low back, which can lead to sort of back pain, low back pain and stuff like that. And this is not for everybody. It's not like a, a one-size-fits-all approach. But if they lack stability and you give them stability, it can offset a little bit of low back issues as well. So it has like a double whammy effect. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at how it makes you stronger first off. Then we can look at it giving you more energy. Now, this for me is a belter. And, and that means really good, in case you're not up on your Mancunian. So just, <laughs> Thank you for this, clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good one. This is due to something called the Bohr effect. So what happens basically is the hemoglobin that carries oxygen around in your bloodstream, hemoglobin has a, a crazy affinity for oxygen. It loves oxygen, so it wants to keep hold of it. 
it will only release oxygen maximally in the presence of carbon dioxide. So when you breathe through your mouth and you go like this, you breathe out a ton of carbon dioxide. When you breathe out like this, you don't breathe out as much. Do you see what I mean? So when you breathe through your nose, it sort of optimizes your carbon dioxide level, which allows you or encourages your hemoglobin to release more oxygen to be absorbed by the tissues of the body or the cells of the body. Once you've got a greater oxygen uptake, your energy levels can go up. So just breathing through your nose uh, can make you stronger and it can give you more energy as well, which is uh, fantastic when you get people coming into the gym, especially there, and they're like, uh, yeah, do you know what? I want to get stronger. And I also like a little energy. You're like, great. We've just flaming covered two of those things straight off the bat, just through nasal breathing. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. No one in. thinks of it. Everyone thinks well, about all the, the other stuff, like you're saying, like all of the little things that might, you know, move the knob half a centimeter, but we're, we're not thinking about the foundational stuff that we can take care of, the low-hanging fruit, like you said. That's so true. This is it, mate. When you look at, when you look at breathing, it is literally, it's the first, first pattern that you do when you come out of the birth canal. Do you know what I mean? It's like the first thing you get a little, I don't even know if to do it anymore, but you get a little smack on the bum and then you take a breath and away you go. And it's literally the last thing that you do when you have your uh, last breath, so to speak. Do you see what I mean? So mm-hmm. everybody's got to do it. If we can maximize it, it's crazy the potential benefits that you can get. So we've got for nasal breathing, makes you strong, gives you more energy. Also, and this is particularly good right now with the, uh, the COVID-19 stuff and all this that and the other, when you nasally breathe, it helps you to fight off infection. It boosts your immune system. Inside your nose, you've got like all your little hairs that will filter out like uh, dust particles and all that sort of stuff. But in the mucous membrane of the nose, nitric oxide gets produced. It gets released in only in very small quantities. But what it does is it helps to kill bacteria when you breathe through your nose. If you're breathing through your mouth, you don't get that same sort of benefit of it uh, killing the bacteria. Also, nitric oxide is a vasodilator. So when you sort of inhale or when you're breathing through your nose, breathe out through your nose, predominantly breathe in through your nose, you will take that nitric oxide down into the lungs where it can affect all the capillaries that surround the Uh, the alveoli of the lungs and can uh, effectively reduce your blood pressure as well. Love that. So vasodilator, meaning that we're actually dilating blood vessels, which increases the volume that the blood is rushing around in, in your, your capillaries, as you're saying, which then can decrease your blood pressure, can also contribute to better, easier blood flow as well. So that's a great one. 100%. But peripheral blood flow improves your peripheral blood flow, potentially. If you think of it like this, if you talk about reducing somebody's blood pressure, if you've got a small bucket right? You've got a small bucket and it's filled to the brim with liquid. In this case, it would be blood, right? So it's filled to the brim with blood. When you vasodilate, all that you do really is you just put the same amount of stuff in a bigger bucket. So now it takes up less space, which would bring the, uh, your blood pressure down. So we've, looked, we've got, makes you stronger, gives you more energy, potentially reduces your blood pressure and boosts your immune system. I think we're like, Yes. Only we could package this up and sell it, huh? But it's free. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's crazy because people come in, they're like looking for the next big big thing. They'll spend a ton of money on it. It's like, mate, if you just think about nasal breathing, it could offset a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, also, Casey, with nasal breathing, it affects your posture. The way that the mouth's built and the tongue. So the tongue... When you have your mouth closed, it will sit in its home position. And the home position for the tongue is against the roof of the mouth. So when you do that, when you have your mouth shut, the tongue's in its home position, the airway's maximized. And if you look at the stuff by Patrick McKeown, uh, the author of The Oxygen Advantage, it, what he talks about is this, the windpipe being about the size of your thumb or the width of your thumb. When you mouth breathe, your tongue comes away from the home position and it can fall back into your windpipe, especially when you sleep. 
uh, and it can reduce your windpipe from a, the width of your thumb down to the width of a cocktail stick. I was like, woo! So what happens Thanks. is when you get that, you have to poke your chin forward in order to maximize your airway. So if you've got somebody, and I'm going to say, it's not poor posture, it's just an opportunity. Doesn't, like I say, all this stuff doesn't make people bad people. It just means that there's an opportunity to improve. So if you've got that pointy chin syndrome, as, we like, as I like to call it, just see, do you breathe through your mouth or do you breathe through your nose? And if you're breathing through your mouth, try closing your mouth. And then you can do all these postural exercises have a little look at where the opportunity is first. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. And it's not going to work. Like you can do all the posture work that you want, but if someone's continually breathing through their mouth, their chin has to be forward so that they can have enough, you know, opening in their airway to actually get some air. So it's going to be pointless. It's a great thing to think about addressing first before the, all the other stuff. If they're looking at doing 20,000 breaths a day, Kesa, right. And they come in the gym and they're training with you for an hour. It doesn't matter how many flaming, how many reps and scat retractions and <laughs> like all the neck exercise, all this sort of that and the other. If they're breathing through the mouth 20,000 times a day, then, I mean, the body's going to adapt to whatever stressor you put upon it. Uh, it's just the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. That wherever the demand is, that's where your body's going to adapt to, you know? Yeah, so posture with the uh, uh, breathing through your nose is a belter. Then we've got, and this is where we start getting into like um, kids especially, between the ages of about 8 and 12. When they breathe through the nose, the tongue sits in the home position like we just mm -hmm. spoke about. And if you want to know what your home position is, I got this off a, a lady called uh, Jen Blunston, who's uh, an oral myofascial re-educator. I think that's the terminology. But she that's said to find just ideas literally. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Pardon the pun, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, she said to find your home position for the tongue. You go like this, you open your mouth and you go, N, N. When your tongue hits the roof of your mouth, when you say the letter N, that's where the tip of your tongue should stay. And you can bring the rest of your tongue up behind it to sort of mm. onto the roof of your mouth. That's a, a guesstimate as your, uh, of your home position. I thought that was pretty cool. cool. And what happens there is, when the tongue's in a home position, the, the hard palate, for its size, your tongue is one of the strongest muscles in the body. So it exerts quite a decent amount of pressure against the roof of your mouth. So in kids, the hard palate forms around it. When the hard palate forms, it forms your jaw, you get plenty of tons of room for your teeth, all this, that, and the other. If you're a mouth breather, you tend to get a little recessed chin. And instead of forming that U shape of the palate, it tends to form more of a V shape and give you more like crooked teeth and stuff. So it can lead to braces potentially, which when we say like it can lead to, it can have a contributory effect to you getting braces. But then when you get the braces took off, K-Set, if you don't address whether they're a mouth breather, if they're still breathing through the mouth, then the teeth are going to go back. Potentially not as bad, but you will get a slight regression of, uh, of what you've had done. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it works great for kids, especially start breathing through the nose. And then in adults with dentistry, it helps with offsetting uh, any sort of bad breath because you get the nitric oxide that kills bacteria that could potentially lead to cavities and bad breath. So it helps with, it helps with that. And then the final yes. thing is, helps with sleep. Mm -hmm. So nasal breathing when you're sleeping, Mate, you're going to get a fantastic night's sleep. Amazing. So many things. Tons of stuff going on, mate. And it's just like, all you've got to do is, you'll be sat there, and every now and again, you just think, I'm a mouth breathing or I'm a nasally breathing. And if you're mouth breathing, you just go like this. Shut your mouth and start breathing <laughs> your nose. You know what I mean? It's not like rocket science, you know? Everyone's going to be listening to this, like, closing their mouths right away as they listen. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm not mouth breathing. Nice. It's interesting because my husband is a professional athlete. So he plays soccer and that guy can run. He is fit. He runs for 90 minutes straight and he's quick, powerful, but he's a mouth breather. So it's very interesting to think about the fact that this doesn't necessarily preclude you from having a high fitness level, from having good cardio, 
but think about how much his ceiling could go up if he could retrain himself to breathe through his nose. But it's hard. You've, you've trained and you've gotten used to being able to blow off that carbon dioxide for such a long time by breathing out through your mouth that it's not an easy thing to retrain. Can you talk a little bit about how people can start working themselves up to being able to do workouts while they're nasal breathing? If you are doing like an aerobic training session, if you are working in your aerobic energy system, long steady state stuff, you should be able to do it breathing through your nose. If you start getting into like a little more high performance where it's bursts, it's more like high intensity interval training or whatever it may be, you may be doing sprint interval training, whatever. As soon as you step outside of your um, aerobic training zone and you go more anaerobic, then you have to breathe through your mouth. That's how we built. This is for emergency breathing. You know what I mean? So when you need to get it in, you can get it in. Mm-hmm. But the predominance of what it is that you do, even if you train, let's say your husband is he's running for 90 minutes on the pitch, he's going crazy, right? He's breathing through his mouth. No problem. If for the other, what's that, 22 and a half hours a day, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Quick math. <laughs> 22 and a half hours a day, he's breathing through his nose. No problem. You know what I mean? He can get away with being out on the pitch and doing that oh, for 90 interesting. minutes. interesting. Interesting. As long as his breathing patterns are kind of normalized and he is nasal breathing with his diaphragm in the game in life, then it's not actually necessarily a detriment to him on the field to be breathing through his mouth? Depends on the intensity Mm. of what he's doing. If he's recovering, then as soon as humanly possible, he starts to breathe through his nose. Because if you think of it like this, right, the limiting factor for a lot of athletes is the the respiratory capacity. Do you see what I mean? Like I'll relate you back to uh, combat sports, right? So if you've got a fighter and they're gassed and they start breathing through the mouth, mate, you're just like, hang on a minute. They're not where they need to be. Hmm. You should be able to, once you've done your round or whatever, let's say as a boxer, you've done your three-minute round. You have one minute, one minute to recover. In that recovery time, you want your hemoglobin to release as much oxygen as it can possibly release so it can be absorbed by the cells and boost your recovery. If you are a mouth breather and you are dumping all your CO2 out, you're just limiting the amount of oxygen that your hemoglobin is going to release so it can limit your uh, recovery rate. Also, what can happen is, let's say for this example, as a standard, as a standard, let's say you are 4% CO2 in your blood before you have to exhale. You are a mouth breather. So what's happened is, instead of it being 4% until your brain says, hang on a minute, I need to breathe out, it drops to 2%. So now, as Mm. soon as your CO2 levels in your blood build up to 2%, your body goes, whoa, I need to get this out. So you start start breathing out rapid. Do you see what I mean? So you get a a, a far quicker onset of breathlessness, the lower your CO2 tolerance is. So it can limit your CO2 tolerance, which will increase the speed of breathlessness And then it will also limit your recovery to a certain extent as well. Okay, that makes total sense. There's a way to measure your CO2 tolerance as well, right? And it's called the Bolt score. Can you tell us about what the Bolt score is, how you would measure it, and then how you would go about improving it? Uh, Your Bolt score or your body's oxygen level test score is a, a test in seconds. So basically what you do is you take a few breaths in and out through your nose, like you could go on the internet, you can look at, there's a ton of stuff. If you go to the, uh, the Oxygen Advantage website, Patrick McKeown's site, you can get the book. It's a great resource. It's all laid out in there. Like the protocols are laid out how to improve it. But just as a, as a quick uh, sort of Cole's notes on it, I, I think Patrick says, if you can go somewhere in a, a, a quiet room and rest for 10 minutes prior to doing the test, You take a few breaths in and out through your nose, just normal breaths in and out as you would normally. 
Then on the final exhale, which is a normal exhale, you pinch your nose, hold your breath, and start a timer. Then at the first definite impulse to breathe. So this is not an assessment of how long you can hold your breath for, right? So it shouldn't be like turning purple, passing out, all that sort of stuff, right? It's just to see when your body says, oh, I need to flaming breathe. So at the first definite impulse where you feel you need to breathe, you let go of your nose and you stop your timer. You will have a result in seconds. In the book, Patrick says, anything less than 20 seconds, there's certain protocols. Anything above 20 seconds, there's certain protocols. Anything above 30 seconds, there's different protocols. So it really does depend on where you sit on the scale. But a, a, an easy way to do it is just to do like mini breath holds to sort of start to build your tolerance to CO2. Mm -hmm. What the BOLT score tells you is how sensitive you are to carbon dioxide. So the lower the bolt score in seconds, the higher the sensitivity to carbon dioxide. So right. that's basically what it tells you. And then to get less sensitive to carbon dioxide, you just hold your breath, do like little mini breath holds throughout the day. Uh, and then you can build it up to where you can do like um, little mini breath holds while you're walking and stuff like that, you know? doesn't need to be anything crazy technical, uh, but the protocols are laid out in, in the book in accordance with the time. So it'll be a little more clear doing that, you know? Yeah. Cool. It's a good way for people who like something measurable and they like to see the progress for themselves when they're going to start doing something to actually measure it and see how they're improving. So I like that. Do you know what your bolt score is? Do you know what? I've not done it recently. I yeah. have not done it recently, but I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Once you start getting into it, and it becomes like, it's more autonomic. You're like, you're not really realizing what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'll be sat there like in the morning and I'll just be like, mate, I, I, I've not really breathed for like, for not like for 20 minutes or anything, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not taking like a lot of breaths. Your respiratory rate must be low. Must be oh, very 100%. low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was up, uh, I was up and uh, we have a house up in Meaford, right? So I was up there and I was sat there and I thought, oh, do you know what? I feel really chill. I'm going to check my heart rate. So I checked my heart rate and my heart rate was at 43 beats a minute. I was like, whoa. Like yeah, you were was, chill. <laughs> like, super chill. Yeah. When I was training to 5K set and I was fit, I think the lowest recorded resting heart rate that I had was about 53 beats a minute. Wow. So I do not train anywhere near as much as what I used to. And now, I mean, a key contributory factor is going to be, as I see it, the way that I breathe. You know what I mean? That's really interesting insight. Ben, do you tape your mouth while you sleep? Yes. You do. <laughs> I remember back when I was on a DTS level one for the first time and you and Kevin were talking about taping your mouths at night and I thought you guys were crazy. But since I've learned why you might do that. So can you tell us why you would tape your mouth while you sleep? Yeah, we spoke about the benefits of nasal breathing, right? So if there's one thing that you can do and address, that would be the key thing straight off the bat. Easiest thing to address, like conscious effort, all that sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. we can retrain it at night. Easy. You don't have to do anything extra. You're asleep. My nose has been smashed to pieces, right? So it's like, I'm thinking... I can't nasally breathe and all this and the other. I could never do that stuff at night. I did the course with Patrick uh, McKeown and that was three days on breathing. And I, I thought, oh yeah, breathing. Yeah, I used to teach it years ago, like the anatomy and physiology. But mate, that was, it was phenomenal. The insights that we got from that was, were, were crazy. I actually thought I was a bad person when I left there because I was like, I do not know how I've survived this long. With <laughs> I, started tape, I started taping my mouth predominantly because he was like, do you know what? You're going to get all the benefits of nasal breathing. You retrain it at least uh, seven to eight hours a night. I said, great. So I started taping my mouth and I noticed the amount that a snore just went Ooh! like right down. Uh, and I'm going to qualify this case there. Please, if you are listening to this, don't just think, oh, that sounds good. I'm just going to take my mouth um, because <laughs> it can, if you have to qualify in order to do it. So we suggest that you do like, you start off, 
just 10 minutes while you're just awake, sort of sat down, reading a book, doing whatever it is that you're doing, uh, and you build it up steadily to about an hour. Being Once able to nasal about, breathe, right? That's yes, what you mean? Yes. Yeah. With your mouth taped. Mm-hmm. So okay. once you've hit about an hour, then you're going to qualify to try it for the night. Another thing that we suggest is don't tape your mouth straight across with like duct tape or something like that, right? If you get the thin micropore tape, like the paper tape that they use for IVs, and tape from your nose to your chin, like don't tape across, tape down. What that does is keeps your lips together, but then it enables you to have a little gap there so you, you can get a little extra in if you need to. So what I found was snoring went like almost out the window. Um, not quite, but uh, almost out the window. Energy levels went up like it's solid. Also, when you, with, the best, with a better night's sleep case, I looked at some research. I just did a course on um, sleep and recovery. Sleep recovery specialist. Was that the one with Ben Pratt? Yes. Nordic yeah. Fitness so Education? Nice. That's the one, Nordic Fitness. So I did, I did that course, and he's just like a brainiac, you know what I mean? So he was talking about research increasing in cal- uh, caloric intake the day after a poor night's sleep. Caloric intake was shown in the research to go up by 400 calories on average. So you, you start thinking, wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you could nasally breathe, it reduces your stress level, improves your sleep, and potentially can have a knock-on effect into your, onto your caloric intake. Yeah. So it's like, mate, all of these different goals that we have, why are we not addressing this fundamental piece? Do you see what I mean? For sure. And so many trainers aren't talking about it at all. They're not even starting to address breath. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. With trainers, and when people come to the gym, it concerns me a little because the health and fitness industry can tend to be exclusive. And, and people are headed in a direction where they're making it exclusive. Like you've got to have a six pack. You've got to have 17 inch pythons. You've got like all these different things in order to be successful. You've got to be at a deadlift twice your own body weight. You've got to be able to bench press X amount, shoulder press such a percentage of uh, your body weight. All of these different protocols that people are putting in place that make the people that are coming to see them feel inferior. Where you've got people who have struggled with health and fitness all of their life. Mm-hmm. That's why they've come to, to see you. So rather than make them feel inferior and then say, actually, you can't do any of this. So yes, you are poor at health and fitness. They know that they have an opportunity with their health and fitness. Otherwise, they would not be there. Mm-hmm. So let's say, hey, listen, everybody breathes. Let's address that. I want to make sure that you're breathing, like optimizing it. Then we can look at water intake. Like straightforward things so that people, Kesa, they end up being like, this is actually quite easy. I can actually do this. And then they can integrate it into the lifestyle and be strong for long. Mm-hmm. Like a DTS longevity and pain-free living for everyone. That's the objective. Not to do, and there's nothing wrong with doing a 12-week transformation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything or deadlifting twice your own body weight. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But I think that, is that the overall objective for these people that are coming to see you? If it is, great. But if it's not, then don't put that on them. Mm -hmm. Maximize what they're doing right now that's going to affect their overall objective and the outcomes that they get. Make them successful. And then yeah. it becomes part of the lifestyle because it, they enjoy it. They enjoy being successful. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. This is stuff that everyone can do and we can teach anyone to implement and it's going to have a massive impact on their lives instead of making them feel bad for all of these random things that we're expecting people to strive for that most of us can't do right now or most of the clients that are coming to us can't necessarily accomplished right now. So I think that you make a great point for sure. We talked a little bit earlier when you were rattling off all the benefits of nasal breathing about how breathing makes you stronger and increasing intra-abdominal pressure can stabilize your low back. Um, it can make your lifts stronger. 
can we address a little bit more how breathing affects movement? And then maybe you can touch on how you can leverage your breathing to move better. Yeah, 100%. So there's going to be a couple of different aspects to this. First off, we need proximal stability for distal mobility. So really, this is when we are picking stuff up. I'm not saying when you are unloaded, you can move however you have the capacity to move. The spine needs flexion and extension, rotation, lateral, all of these different pieces, the body needs those movements. So before, anybody's, before anybody's like, well, you've just said that the spine, you should, it should remain rigid. No, it shouldn't. It needs movement, as does every part of the body. But what we want to do is, if we are picking something up, if we are putting a demand on somebody's movement, we want to give them the ability to control the movement. So when your diaphragm drops and you get that intra-abdominal pressure, that stabilizes the low back. As soon as you get that, the brain goes, oh, mate, right, we good. Like express force, make it so number one. You know what I mean? It's like, boom, you're off to the races. So that intra-abdominal pressure creates stability, which it sort of takes the limiter off the brain and allows you to express force. So that's one way as looking at movement. Another piece that you can look at is when you, somebody comes in the gym, they tend to be a little a little sort of kyphotic or a little sort of rounded through the upper body. So as soon as they start trying to go overhead, they get a little, oh, they get, it's limitation. Three most injured sites of the body are the shoulder, the low back, and the knee. So if you've got somebody who comes in the gym, they're a little rounded off, and they try to go overhead, they can't get there because they're sort of rounded off in this position. All that happens, they have to go overhead. They sort of extend through the low back. So in those two pieces, they potentially beat the shoulder up a little bit and potentially beat the low back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when we looked earlier, or when we spoke earlier about posture and the way that nasal breathing can affect posture, just try it now. You could do it right there, Casey. So if you flex like this a little bit, sort of drop through the T-spine and then try and raise your arms up a little bit. And you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm stuck here. Now, if you sort of sit nice and tall, bring your ears back over your shoulders, and then from there, bring your arms up sort of overhead. Does that feel a little easier for you to do? Much easier, yeah. So if we can address somebody's posture through nasal breathing, mm. couple it with some exercises as well, then we can potentially improve the overhead capacity, tying the breathing into the, uh, to the postural stuff that we're doing as well. So you've got one where... You create the intra-abdominal pressure. It gives you stability. So now your body's like, woo, you can move around. Takes the limiter off. And then also, by improving somebody's posture, yes, we would need to do mobility and stability exercises as well. But we would couple that with nasal breathing, which would improve the posture and improve potentially their overhead capacity as well. Awesome. I love it. I love that proximal stability for distal mobility everything has to come from something that's solid and your breath is the main way that you're going to be able to do that and accomplish that proximal stability yeah so when, key. You, when you give people that case and like i say it's not about being like super rigid all the time and then boom, you try to move around that will have a negative impact on your body because tissues need movement so you will have a negative impact if you limit the movement. If you do like very, very, very super heavy lifting all the time, it has a negative impact. If you do no lifting at all, it has a negative impact. So we've got to find the sweet spot. Now with that, you give people the ability to, yes, you create that proximal stability for distal mobility, but tie it into life. So you give people strategies where it's like, hey, listen, when you're reaching into your car and you're getting the groceries out or you reach into your car, you pick your kid out of the car seat or go, you're going away for a weekend or whatever and you've got your luggage. Now you say, right, we've got the ability to create that intra-abdominal pressure. And when you reach in to get your kid, you can create intra-abdominal pressure and then you're not going to cause yourself any issues. Mm -hmm. And also with that case there, so we've got breath ties into that intra-abdominal pressure. 
ties into a posture, but then also, if you want to amp it up a little bit or ramp it up a little bit, you could do this. You know where I'm going with this. You could do this right now. So if you put the tongue against the roof of your mouth and then go like this. <laughs> I love the way you like. Uh, do, do you want to do that now? Do you want to do that now? What you should I'm with it, you. I'm with you. You should feel a little tightness, a little tightness in your, in your abdominal cavity. What that is, you're just giving a little boom, like a little increase in intra-abdominal pressure. So by doing a little, little forced exhale, and you hear it in fighting when people, when a fighter lands a punch, they'll do a little or a little ah, whatever it may be. Tennis players, when they hit the ball, especially ladies, oh, when the when they hit the, I don't think that was quite, that was weird, right? But you know how it goes. They do the noise. I'm not going to do the noise again. But they do the noise when they hit the ball. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. What that does is ramps up that intra-abdominal pressure uh, and gives you more stability. So you can increase somebody's power output as well just through doing that. Uh, that movement uh, or that sort of breathing pattern. Mm-hmm. You see, we guys when they play hockey, guys and girls when they play hockey, when they come into the boards or when they're going to hit somebody, they don't. You know what I mean? As they're about to hit somebody, there'll be a little or a little whatever it may be. Boom! It just creates rigidity, and then they relax. It's a very athletic type of movement. You can carry that across into everyday life with a suitcase or when people step on ice when they need to like right themselves. So mm. you step on ice, you do a little, you create a little tension and it, it pulls you back into a standing position. If you stand on ice and you're loose, you'll go boom, you'll hit the deck. Do you see what I mean? Or whatever it may be. So true. That's such a good tip. And I love that you're, that you're making the distinction that we're not walking around with maximal tension all the time. It's a skill to be able to scale how much you're bracing to whatever it is, the the activity that you need to accomplish. It can actually limit or impede your movement if you're walking around maximally tense all the time. And you're right, your tissues aren't gonna be able to move how they want to be moving. So that's that's a great distinction. Let's switch gears a little bit then. I wanna talk about breathing and mental health. It's interesting because you can kind of think of it as a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Like if you're breathing up here in your chest all the time, it can make you feel more anxious. We know that nasal breathing de-stresses, it calms you down and activates your vagus nerve. So if we're chest breathing all the time, it can make you feel quite anxious. And then simultaneously, if you have anxiety, sometimes it can cause you to chest breathe. So it's like this little cycle that you can get caught up in. But Could you just address how breathing plays a role in people's mental health as well? As far as that goes, chest breathing is referred to as stress breathing. It could also be like reverse breathing pattern, apical breathing pattern. But for this particular component, let's refer to it as a stress breathing pattern. So when you're breathing to your chest, as you said, it's the chicken and the egg. It creates a negative feedback loop. So what happens is you start to breathe into your chest it starts to heighten everything. It starts to heighten everything, which makes you breathe into your chest. When you breathe into your chest, all of your scapular elevators get a little facilitated or a little tighter because you're using them to breathe into your chest. But that's where most people carry the stress as well. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you start getting into it when it's like you get stressed, you breathe into your chest which make these a little facilitated, which makes you breathe a little more air, which gets you more stressed, which makes these a little more facilitated. You know, it's just like, oh, it just feeds into it like crazy. Yeah. So as far as with anxiety, there was some great research done. I think it was in Japan where they looked at breathing cadence. So talking about inhale in comparison to exhale the number of times you would need to do something in order to bring that sort of anxious state back down. What they found was if you inhale through your nose for four seconds, exhale through your nose for eight seconds, the research showed like, I think it was five times you would flip someone from that fight or flight response, your sympathetic response into the rest and digest or parasympathetic response within five or six breaths. Uh, or cycles. So sometimes you're going to get people who are like, do you know what? I can't inhale for however long and exhale. Listen, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like it's not an exact science. 
it's more something that you can control that is going to help with your mental state. And it mm -hmm. brings awareness into your body. So it brings it more intrinsic, intrinsic awareness as opposed to extrinsic. Because we tend to get stressed when you're dealing with an extrinsic stimulator. Mm -hmm. Like something's happening outside of your body. So whenever you can bring something back to what you can control that is intrinsic inside your body, it sort of goes, oh, it centers you back, back down again. There's a guy who does a lot of, lot of stuff as far as the anxiety stuff goes. A gentleman called Rob Wilson, who does a course called The Art of Breath. Uh, and the stuff that he's doing is working with uh, a lot of kids with anxiety, ADHD, all that sort of stuff. And looking at, at how breathing can help to regulate anxiety. And it's not to say this is the cure for anxiety, but it can potentially, coupling of breathing exercises, and then maybe if you still need to take medication, but medication tends to be the, you know, a pill for every ill. It tends to be like the go-to, you know? Like if you have done everything else, then you may be a candidate for medication, but you would always want to try every sort of avenue first. And it doesn't make you a bad person, Casey, if you take anti-anxiety medication. Do you see what I mean? That's not what it's about. But you may be able to do a combination of the two and then eventually get to a point where that controlling of your breathing pattern, because you could, you could become very aware of, oh, this is how it feels just when I start to get like super anxious or I have a panic attack or something along those lines. And then you have something where you're like, right, I start my watch, boom, and away I go. I breathe in for this much, I breathe out for, out for this much. And you just keep doing it until it ooh, brings everything back down, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so empowering to have something that simple, that fast, and that effective to be able to implement in those moments. Because those, the nature of those moments is that you're feeling out of control. But you can always, as you're saying, you can always come back in, center yourself and control your breath. So it's crazy how simple it is. Five breaths, you know, to, to switch the state of your nervous system. But it's so freaking powerful. So we, we need to not overlook it. We do it on the course. And it's like when we do like retraining breathing patterns. And we're like, okay, so we're going to do some, uh, we're going to do some diaphragmatic breathing. And we're going to control the inhale and exhale. And we do it in two positions. So we do it on the back. And this is a good one. You, you want to make sure that whenever you're trying to retrain diaphragmatic breathing, just start with the, the uh, hips flexed because you have a connection from your uh, hip flexors through to your diaphragm. So what you can get is tonality in that connection and it can impede or inhibit your breathing pattern a little bit. And we know that most people sit down too much. So they've got already got a little facilitation or a little tightness through the hip flexors. So if you try to retrain in a standing position, it can sometimes have a little, a little negative carryover. So you get them down on the back. We do like five sets, just five repetitions. And then we flip them over onto the front. It's called crocodile breathing. Breathing on the front's great because you get the feedback from the ground when you're sort of using your, your tummy. And then it's always funny because you've got trainers who are like, go, 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 all like crazy. And they sit up after it and they're like, oh, flippy, that, it looks like they've all just glass-eyed. Looks like they're all going to have a sleep, you know what I mean? Completely switches them out of their, uh, their crazy go, go, go mode. That's awesome. Ben, you've given so many things that people can go out and do over the course of this episode. Can we just kind of summarize what you think the top three things that someone's like, oh crap, I think I'm a chest breather. And it's interesting because the one easy way to kind of assess, is this something that I need to work on? If you're the person that tends to get really, really tired before everyone else, if you're like <sighs> breathing really hard and, and in general, it's always been faster than other people around you. You feel like you gas out really easily. Like this is definitely something that you want to take a look at. If there are listeners that are feeling like, yeah, that's me. Like I really need to do some work on this. What would be your top three things that they could go and do to start to improve their breathing patterns? Uh, do you know what? I will give you one thing. Oh, great. One, one even thing. easier. And this is like one thing, nasal breathing just ties in 
to everything else because you can talk about diaphragmatic breathing. You could talk about all these different components of breath, but the key one, the key one is going to be nasal breathing. That is like the, the mother piece. Mm -hmm. Once mm -hmm. you've got that down, everything else will fall into place. We can say, number one, nasally breathing. Number two, diaphragmatically breathing. Number three, maybe potentially improving your mobility. Because if, if your hips are nice and mobile, people get really locked down in the hips. If your hips and your T-spine nice, are all nice and mobile, it will have a knock-on effect to your breathing pattern. But straight away, Casey, it's the easiest thing to do, lowest hanging fruit, and it's a conscious effort. You just say, nasally breathe. People say, oh, do you know what? I can't nasally breathe. I have to breathe through my mouth. I say, mate, my nose is like the flaming inside of a crunchy bar. You know what I mean? It's like smashed to pieces and I can do it. And what's interesting is this. When you look at a deviated septum, like I've got like, that is solid. That, there's nothing there. Do you know what I mean? I've got a deviated septum inside my nose. But it's not that that is restrictive. When you don't nasally breathe, your nasal cavities swell. So it inhibits nasal breathing. Do you see what I mean? Oh, interesting. Yeah. As soon as you start to use your nose for what it's for, <laughs> then your body just goes, oh, right. I'm causing a problem if it's swollen. So what I'll do is I'll just, I'll decrease the swelling. Your nasal cavities will change size throughout the day. So really? you will find that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it depends. Um, is it nasal cycling or something like that it's called? I can't remember off the top of my head anyway, but it, with about 60 to 90 minutes, you'll find that you'll get a lot more air through one nostril. And then you might find that you get more air through the other nostril and you're like, what is this? Do you know what I mean? It's just interesting stuff, the way that, you, the way that your body works. But just to make sure that we're good to go, I would say the top, 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 top thing, nasal breathing. Done. Awesome. Easy. Love it. Thanks so much, Ben. This has been super informative. I've learned a lot. I love talking about this stuff. To me, the foundations are everything. It's the simplest thing. Like you said, it's the one thing that we do our whole lives. It begins and ends our life. Breathing is so key. And yet so many of us, especially in the fitness industry, are neglecting it when we really shouldn't. We really, um, we really are doing our, ourselves a disservice as we do that. So I appreciate all of your insights and information today. It's been a blast talking to you. No problem, my mate. You are more than welcome, Kesa. It's always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.